Back in February of 2005, there was a headline that was written in the Chicago Tribune newspaper. And this was the headline. The mystery of the missing owner. Now somebody may think, well that's kind of an unusual headline to have on a newspaper article. But what made it even more strange and unusual that it was not the heading of an article. It was actually the title of an entire supplement in the newspaper. In fact, this supplement was being published as a legal notice by the Illinois State Treasurer's Office. And the reason why they were putting this supplement in the Sunday edition of the Chicago Tribune newspaper was because they were looking for the rightful owners of the contents of abandoned safety deposit boxes, forgotten bank accounts, security deposit checks uncashed, paychecks uncashed, dividend checks, etc. See, the Illinois State Treasurer's Office had over $1 billion that was owed to over 5 million people and businesses that they could not trace down to return their property to them. So the headline of the supplement said, The Mystery of the Missing Owner. And on the front page of the supplement, there were listed the names of 10 individuals or couples that the state of Illinois owed over $100,000 to. And then, in the next 116 pages, tightly packed, were all the names of the individuals that were owed at least $100 or more of cash or bond. And you can imagine the 116 pages. They ranged from Lucille Ackberg to Leonard Zizdahl. All of the names listed in 116 pages saying that there is the mystery of the missing owner. There was something that was owed, something that they had coming to them, some possession that they didn't know that they had that the state of Illinois was trying to say, we're trying to reach you because you have this and you don't even realize it. And it's not just the state of Illinois. The state of Oklahoma does the same sort of things even today. They will list the unclaimed property. So it's not something new. It's not something novel. But you know when we think about it in the world today, in the culture today, and we think about people that have these kind of assets, these kind of treasures, these kind of promises, these kind of uh, possessions that are theirs that they haven't claimed, we think, well, how sad is that that they have all this money sitting there and they don't claim it? this morning we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1 and we're going to start a new time of sermon series that I'm just quite simply entitled Growing Together. And what I want to do during this time as we walk through the letter of Ephesians is I want to look at what Paul presents us and what Paul's picture is of a church that grows together. We are sitting here in a season that we want to see fruit. And everybody wants to see the fruit. They want to see the fruit of their academic labors. They want to see the fruit of their vocational labors. They want to see the fruit of this engagement or this devotion or this labor. And even people in the church say we want to see the fruit. We want to see the budgets and the buildings and the bodies. But every once in a while we need to understand that the fruit is just simply the result. 
It's the result of the environment. It's the result of the nutrients. It's the result of the root system. It's the result of the type of seed that was planted. So Paul is going to come into this letter and we're going to dive in more to the background of Ephesus in the coming weeks. But he's going to dive into this letter to write to this church to tell them this is how you as a church grow together. It starts individually, then it goes corporately, but it's this idea of how do the church, how do we here at First Baptist Church Wilson, how do we grow together? So we are going to be looking at this subject in the days ahead of how it is that not only that we grow in our faith, but we also grow together as brothers and sisters in Christ and not grow necessarily for the budgets and the buildings and the body, but grow for the fruit of the kingdom of God. And that is our goal and that is our aim. It is not to see how many bodies we can get into the building. Our goal is to see the fiercer fruit of the kingdom of God. And we know when we are being faithful to God and we're being obedient to God and God is having his way in our hearts and our lives, the natural result is going to be the fruit of the kingdom of God. So Ephesians chapter 1 is the beginning point of Paul's letter to this church. And he, as he starts off writing to this church, he wants to make sure and identify some of the commonalities. This morning I'm going to present it to you in three different promises. Three different promises that Paul wants to remind the listener, the reader of. Three different promises that are true to you and I. Three different promises that shows us our commonality as people today. Unfortunately, many of these promises go unclaimed. Men, women, boys and girls that you know that you might be related to, that you might work with, that you might be friends on social media with, that you might see this afternoon, that you might have seen yesterday, that you might see tomorrow. There are so many people in this world right now that are not claiming these promises from God. And it's like we have an entire community around us that has these unclaimed promises and they don't even know they have them. So as the state of Illinois and they're trying to reach these people to say we're going to put an advertisement and we're going to let you know that you have this and why haven't you claimed that? I think that it is time for the church to rise up to look at the people around us and say God has promised us this. Why haven't you claimed it? So look at these three promises with me. I'm going to start in chapter 1 and verse 3. I'm going to read down through verse 4 for the sake of context and then we're going to back up <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to back up and pick these three promises apart in our time together. The word of God says in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fulfillment fulfillness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth in him 
we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works in all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you were to sit back and you were to study through the word of God, sometimes they will tell you to look for repeating words. Sometimes they will tell you to look for repetitive phrases. Sometimes you will look for different signal words or different action verbs. And if you were to do the same thing with this passage this morning, you would constantly be seeing in Christ, in Him. All of these things that Paul is pointing us to, that these promises are not from you. These promises are not from me. These promises are not from the state. These promises are not from mankind. These promises are from God. If you were to go back to the original language, you get into the original language study classes there in seminary. Seminary, One of the, uh, one of the uh, I guess, challenges or assignments they will give you is to dissect and to translate this passage from the original Greek into English. And the reason is when Paul is writing this, verse 3, all the way through verse 14 is one sentence in Greek. It's like an add-on sentence. It just goes and goes and goes and goes. And so for the sake of our study this morning, I kind of hesitate to try to break it up in three promises, but I don't think that we can break it up in multiple sermons because it is one thought by Paul. One central idea that you need to understand that these are the promises that God has given you and this is your commonality being created by God and this is your commonality as living on this earth under the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of Christ. So I want you to notice these three promises with me. Starting in verse 3, we see the first promise as being, you have been chosen by God. You have been chosen by God. Now there's all kinds of debate sometimes in the church world about this predestined, non-predestined, chosen, non-chosen. You ask me, is it there? It is there. Because why? Because God says that He chose us. He chose us. We did not choose God. It's not that we woke up one day and say we need a deity. We need a God to serve. We need a God to create us. We need a God to send his son to die for us. We need a God. No, Paul wants to remind us that we have been chosen by God. You see there in verse 4. He says, even as he chose us in him. What Paul is reminding us is that the fact that you and I have been created, the fact that you and I are here this morning, the fact that he sent his son to die for us means that God has chosen us and God chose you before you were you. It's not one of those things that you and I woke up and said we are going to recreate a God or we are going to assign a God or we're going to kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll follow God for a while until we get bored or until we find something else to do. No, God chose you before you were you. And he tells us right there in the text that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself. So what he's telling us is, is that not only did God choose you before you were you, but that God sent his son for you before you needed a savior. Before you committed your first sin, God sent his son for you. So many times we start to have this idea that God owes us something or that I deserve something. 
or that I should have something because I'm me and I'm just so smart and I'm just so good looking and, and I'm, I'm, I'm so friendly and everybody likes me and, and, I, and I have this coming. And what Paul wants to remind everybody in the world today that your salvation is not built upon you. Your salvation is built upon Christ because God sought you before you sought him. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with understanding that God has chosen you. That God has chosen you before you were you. That he sent his son before you knew that you needed his son. Because he sought you before you sought him. There is nothing wrong with understanding that God loved you so much that he sent his son for you. Oh, but there's a great promise there. There's a great promise there that God has chosen you. I remember a couple of decades ago, back in my more athletic days, you would be there on the school ground and you would play playing a game of pickup ball and of course you'd have to have team captains. And then you, all, you knew that those team captains and then everybody that was wanting to play that particular game would have to line up. And those team captains would take turn. I want him. I want him. I want him. I want him. And you know the really rotten part about that is? Someone always has to be last. Somebody has to be last. And I don't care what they say. I don't care how they try to frame it. When you are that last person be picked, you feel like it's a charity. <laughs> I wasn't wanted. I wasn't chosen. I'm just the last person available and I've got to go someplace. And you know, sometimes it seems like that in the world. We are constantly looking for affirmation. We're constantly looking for someone to give us confidence and self-esteem and self-worth. We're constantly wanting someone to think they value us and that we bring something to the table. But we need to remind it on a continual basis that it's not a matter that you are the last, you are the last hog of the litter. It's not a matter that you are the last person in the classroom. It's not a matter that you are the last person on the bus. It matters that God created you and he chose you. Not first, not second, not third, not fourth, not fifth, not last, not first. He chose all of us the same. Which means that I'm no better than you and you're no better than me. And, and which means that every single person created in the image of God has the same value and worth in the eyes of God. Which means that all the people that are running around us that are lost, headed to an eternal hell apart from Christ, and we don't care about it, it's because we think that somehow we have something they don't have, and I want you to know, based upon my belief, and based upon my conviction, that God has chosen you the same way that God has chosen them. Why? Because He sent His Son to die for all of us. Every single person has been chosen by God. Well, how do you know that, preacher? Because God created them. And God sent His Son so that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. I think we need to be reminded this morning that it's not a matter that you chose God. Let's get that imagery and let's get that garbage and the radical talk out of our mouths. You did not choose God. God chose you. And because God chose you, that should give us a little hitch in our giddy-up. It should give us a little lightness to our steps. It should give us something to smile about. The fact that God chose you. There are a lot better people in this world today. A lot more faithful Christians than me. A lot better speakers than me. A lot smarter people than me. And you know what? That doesn't matter. Because He chose me.
God chose me. Even when I didn't know who God was, God chose me. And you know, there's something that should be a point of commonality between all of us when we realize that God chose me. God chose you. God chose them. And he says, if you're going to have any hope of growing together, if you're going to have any hope of kingdom fruit, if you're going to have any hope of impacting not just a community, not just a home, but a generation, a world, a society with the gospel and the truthfulness of God's word, you need to understand that God has chosen us and God has chosen them. So he tells us, these first few verses, Paul wants to remind us, and I wish we had more time this morning, but i got to move on. But uh, he, he reminds us, this promise, God has chosen you. And then he gives us this second promise, starting in verse 7. He reminds us that you can be forgiven through Christ. Notice, he goes there in verse 7, and he says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Now, it's predicated, the first part of that verse tells us how we have that redemption, how we have that forgiveness, how we have that grace. See, sometimes today we have people that think that redemption or forgiveness or salvation comes through works. Why well, need to try harder? I know I missed last Sunday, preacher, but I'm going to go up twice next Sunday to make up for it. Well, you know what? I know I know that I kind of spent some money here that I shouldn't have spent, but you know what? I'll make up for it, and I'll just put twice in the offering plate. Well, you know, I know that I, I shouldn't have done that, so I feel sorry, I feel guilty, so instead of repenting of my sins, and I'll just tell two people about Jesus this week. You know, there's some times that I may not be the best husband I could be, and sometimes us in our manhood, we think, well, I'll just get her flowers or I'll just get her some chocolate. I'll buy her some earrings. I'll get her something nice. And boy, that'll assuage things. My grandfather's name was Charlie. And there's an old line of cologne called Charlie. And so every time he would make my grandmother mad, she would be fired up at him. And he would always go back to J.C. Penney's or Dillard's, buy her another bottle of Charlie. She had a whole cabinet full of Charlie. <laughs> But the idea that he thought that if all he had to do was buy a little cologne and give it to her, everything would be good. Sometimes in our thinking, we think that that's how it works with God. And Paul says, ah! That's not the way this works. You don't get redemption through your works. Your forgiveness is not merited. That's what he's trying to tell us there in verse 7 by the, the idea that redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. He wants to remind you and I that this idea of forgiveness, it's not something you deserve. It's not something that you've earned. It's not something that you've accomplished. It's not a goal that you have reached. Forgiveness is only by the grace and the mercy of Christ. It's through the, it's through the blood that Jesus Christ shed for you. It's through the redemption made possible by the cross. That is how we have forgiveness. And so what that means for every single one of us is that every single one of us can, may be forgiven if we cry out asking for forgiveness. Repentance, confession, contrition. All of those things lead us to this idea that we can be forgiven. We have so many in the world today that think, I have done too many bad things, Spence. You don't understand. There's no way that God could ever forgive me. Trying. Trying. Testing. See what it is. Now I'm not saying go out and create new ones. 
I'm just saying, just think about the ones that you've already created. And think about, well, I, I can't do anything now to be free. What, what are you talking about? Tell me what sin it was when Jesus was on the cross that he did not suffer the wrath for. See, it tells us in the Gospels that when God poured out his wrath on his son, he poured all of it out. Every single bit of it. Tell me one sin that Christ did not suffer for on the cross. He suffered for all of them. Every single one of them. And yet so many times we start to think, well, you know what? I can't be forgiven for that. I can't be forgiven for this. I'm going to tell you that as long as you're living by your own means and by your own merits and by your own attempts, you will never be enough. And so that is why Paul wants to remind us that we are forgiven through Christ. And now you may say, well, Spence, why am I forgiven? Well, there in verse 10, if you see down there in the text, it says, as a plan for the fulfillment of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He reminds us that God's will is restoration. What is God doing? God created a perfect world. He created a perfect man. He created a perfect woman. He put them in a perfect garden. They are there in the garden. We were talking about this yesterday morning in our men's breakfast time. He put them in the garden. Here comes the Satan. Here comes sin. Here comes the sea. Man and woman fall. They, create, they commit that first sin and that division is there. And from that point in Genesis 3 all the way through Revelation, the story of the Bible is the story of redemption. How God is restoring humanity and his creation back to perfection. How does that happen, Spence? Well, Romans 3, after verse 23, which is the common one, he tells us that why this happened was is so that he could be the just and the justifier. He is saying that God had this whole plan in mind so that he could still be God and still redeem his fallen people. So Paul wants us to know that one of the beauty beauties of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you can be forgiven through Christ. There's a lot of other religions in this world today that don't treat forgiveness as grace through faith. There's some works-based element. There's something that you have to do. Jump, some, some, some hoop that you have to jump through. Catholic Church has the indulgences and has you do the Hail Marys and, and has you pay the price and has you go through the acts of contrition to earn that forgiveness and earn that right to God. The Islamic community, the Muslims, they have their certain traditions and their amount of prayer and the, and the amount of things they do. There's other traditions, other religions out there that have all these things in place that you must do this to be forgiven. But the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ says that you can be forgiven not because of your works before man, not because of your works before yourself but because of the work of Christ and that is a great promise brothers and sisters that is a great promise that we know that I don't have to go through you to get to God you don't have to go through me to get to God you don't have to be one of those things that you've got to make somebody happy in the church we don't have a church board that says well we're going to make this person saved and this person's going to be lost this week you don't have to worry about coming and offending somebody or making somebody mad. God has chosen you. God loves you. God has sent his son to die for you. And you can be forgiven through Christ. We get over that too easy. We, we, we just flat. Yeah. And we get over that far too easy today. We stop being excited about it. We stop being grateful for it. We just flat stop. There's a third promise 
But I want you to see it and then we'll get to the vittles. That you have an inheritance that is waiting. So Paul wants to come in and remind the church. He wants to remind the, the people there at Ephesus. These three promises. That you've been chosen by God. That you can be forgiven through Christ. And that you have an inheritance that is waiting. The Illinois State Treasurer's Department is sending out that publication back in 2005 trying to tell people, you have a form of an inheritance. You have a form of treasures that you have unclaimed. You have a form of property, possessions, money, whatever it is. You have something that you haven't grabbed a hold of yet. And Paul wants to remind the church right here in this text that every single one of us have an inheritance that is waiting. You may say, well, Spence, what is inheritance? Inheritance is when you get something you didn't deserve. (laughs) That you get something that you didn't earn, get something that you didn't work for. It is something that is unmerited, undeserved, a gift from somebody before you. And it's this idea that you have an inheritance that is waiting. So this is the language that you see right there in verse 11. You see there in the text. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Paul is using this language to give them this imagery of this is what it is. It's not something that you've served your time so now you had it coming. It's not a bonus. It's not a perk. It's not some type of a benefit as being an employee in the kingdom of God. This is an inheritance. And he says, in him being in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance having been being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He's reminding us that we have this inheritance. Now sometimes people look back and say, well, what is that supposed to do? I can't spend it. I can't see it. I can't touch it. My siblings and I several years ago were giving as a Christmas gift by our grandparents, we were given some type of a stock. But the way that the stock was entitled was that my name and my grandmother's name are joint owners of this stock. So about four months ago, I get this dividend check in the mail. And it has my name and my grandmother's name. Five dollars. I'm rich. And I go to the bank... And I say, I don't know if you have this much money on hand, but I need it. I need to cash this check. The lady looks at it, and she goes over and talks to another teller, and the tellers are looking back and forth, and I'm like, I know it's not a forgery. <laughs> I mean, who's going to try to forge and pass off, you know, phony $5 checks? And then she comes back to me. She says, I'm sorry, we can't cash it. And I said, well, how, not? How, how come? She said, well, you have to have both of your person's signature on the check. I said, well, why? My, my name's on there. And she said, yes, but the way that the check is written, you have to have both parties sign the check. And I said, ma'am, do you understand that my grandmother lives three and a half hours away? One way, three and a half hours away. You think I'm going to drive seven hours round trip to get grandma to sign a check just so I can get $5? Sorry, sir. That's not the inheritance that God has given us. It's not an inheritance that is tied to someone else around you. It's not an inheritance that is tied to something that you have done or something that you're going to do. You and I have an inheritance that is cashable immediately upon receipt. 
And it's something that we do not have to share. It's inheritance that God has given us. And what does that inheritance do, Spence? Does it make us rich? No. Does it give us some type of tangible advantage? No. What does it do? It gives us hope in our struggles in our lives. That's why he can tell us right there in verse 12. So that that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. He says this inheritance, not only does that promise forgiveness, not only does it promise salvation, but it promises hope. And hope in the struggles of our lives. And not just that, but faith in the future of our lives. Notice in verse 13, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. He is saying that when you get this inheritance and you know who is and you know what God has done for you and you know who you are in Christ you have hope you have faith you have help for the direction of your lives and you have a promise a promise for the rest of your life that promise that says that Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so Not because man tells me so, not because I feel so, not because I think so, not because the books say so, not because someone else tells me so, because the Bible tells me so. And friend, I want to tell you this morning that there are promises that God has given each and every single one of us that Paul says these are the grounds, these are the foundation, these are the building blocks by which you grow your faith and by by which a church and a fellowship grows together in their faith because they all understand that you are not here out of your own charity. You're not here because of your own good works. You're here because God has chosen you. That is why you are here. And while you are here, you are not here to try to please somebody or make somebody happy. You are here and you know that if you're here in sin, in a state of lostness, today can be a day that you can be forgiven. Not because of an application or a DNA test or because of how much money you have in your pocket. Because God has sent His Son to die for you. And you know that this day and every day forth, if you are in Christ and your salvation is secure, then you have an inheritance that is waiting. He says there at the very last, verse 13 and 14, he talks about being sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Now some people will say, well, what is that ultimate inheritance, Spence? I'm going to tell you what that ultimate inheritance is. It's eternity in heaven. A glorified body. This morning before he got here, Mark got here, he starts to make his ascension up the spiral staircases. I kind of think of like Jack and the Beanstalk. I mean, he's just climbing up there. And as he's walking up there, he gets about halfway up and he has to stop. He's like, man, my knees just aren't the way they used to be. But you know, there's coming a day that he's going to have perfect knees. Some of you woke up this morning and you had to, Take some pharmaceuticals. Take some pills. Give yourselves a shot. Maybe you had to reach next to the nightstand some type of framework over your eyes so you could see my sweet, shiny face. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you had to take a shower this morning or bathe because you had a little body odor and you had a little stink going on and you needed to get cleaned up. Maybe it was something that you wanted to put makeup on because you felt you had some blemish or you had something that you wanted to uh, present before the people. Whatever it is, but I'm going to tell you there's coming a day, there's coming a day that you will be perfect. That you will have that perfect body that we will be in heaven in glory and we will be glorified and there will not be a deficiency. There will not be a defect. There will not be sore needs. There will not be acne. There will not be uh, any other things that plague you and I today. I won't wake up grumpy. Because I struggle with that. 
That alarm clock goes off and I'm mad. I don't know why. I'm just mad. I'm mad at the alarm clock. I'm mad at the idea that I'm supposed to get up. And then if I don't get up, then I'm mad at myself for not getting up. I'm going to stop. But one of these days, I won't be mad or cranky when I get up because it won't matter what time I get up because I'm going to have a reason to go to bed. I'm going to have a reason to get up. And I don't know if I'm ever going to sleep. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be in perfect harmony with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the inheritance that He says that you have waiting for you. Well, how do I get that inheritance today, Spence? It's by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and by knowing that your eternity is secured and you know that just a small taste of that forgiveness and that salvation today is what you're going to take for an eternity to come. So then how do we measure if we're growing or not? How do do we know if we're growing in the way that Paul wants us to and the way that God has intended for us to grow? Well, three different means that I've given you. One's a statement, one's an exhortation, the last one is a question. Just things that I want to put inside your mind, seeds that I hope to plant, to think, okay, so in light of what we looked at this morning, then what does that mean for me? How is it that I grow in my faith? How is it that we grow together? Well, the first one is this. Your growth is determined by your grasp. Your growth is determined by your grasp. If you have a really small, really low view of God, then that's all that you're going to get. But as you expand your view of God and you raise your view of God, oh, the things that God can show you and the beauty and the glory of God just become infinitely more valuable. It's like one of those things that you and I just settle for that little small picture, that little small hope. We had seen postcards and I've seen pictures, I've seen documentaries, I've seen movies of the Grand Canyon all of my life. And about two years ago, we as a family had an opportunity to go and I remember driving and finally getting through all the crowd and you think, okay, right there is the rim. I just need to walk from here to that wall and I'll be at the railing. And you get up there and you look in and the next thing you know... That postcard wasn't sufficient. That documentary wasn't sufficient. That story that I heard wasn't sufficient because I get to see it in person. Sometimes we settle for man's picture of God. and Sometimes we settle for man's stories of God. Sometimes we settle for just the small little tit- the tidbits of God that we get in some morning and evening devotional. Just something that we get. We even settle for just the two hours that we talk about God every single week. And yet God is sitting there saying, Oh, oh, if you would just get a greater grasp of me. Oh, if you would just understand me on a deeper level. Oh, if you just raise your eyes to me. The amount of growth that could be possible. We grasp the glory of God. The second is an exhortation. I want to encourage you this morning to remember that God has given you an inheritance for His glory. For His glory. Not for your glory. Not for the glory of this church. Not for the glory of some ministry right here in Wellston. God has given you an inheritance for His glory. So it's not a matter of saying, well, look at me. Look what I've done. Guess what God has done through me. I want to know what you are doing for the glory of the kingdom of God. We don't need 80, 90, 120. We don't need 150 people in service if those people aren't being faithful to God. We need people today that are faithful to God because when people are faithful to God, then they'll be where God wants them to be. And the goal isn't the buildings, the budgets, or the bodies. The goal is faithfulness and obedience to God. People that are living for His glory and not our glory. And so then this is the last question and we're through. What promises are you living for? Then what promises are you living for? Paul has laid out, and you can probably find 
in the text if you wanted to, but he's laid out three different promises that for many people in this world today go unclaimed. And you're going to be here this morning and you're going to be living for one promise or another. You're going to be living for some hope. You're going to be living for some help. You're living in some direction of or another. I wonder this morning, what promises are you living for? Are you living for the promises that more money will be your solution? Are you living for the promises that next season of life will be better? Are you living for the promises that if you just try harder, you're going to achieve your goals? Are you living for the promises that this soon will pass? Are you living for the promises given to us by God's word? That God has chosen you. And then no matter what the day or what the time, you can be forgiven by God. And that you have an inheritance that is waiting when you are in Him. But what promises are you living for today? You bow your heads with me.